You know, sometimes we say no to God, and we're in this series right now called Resistance. We're looking at three characters as we lead up to the Easter, uh, as, as we look at the Easter story, the, the passion story. There's three characters that kind of, I, I started to say jump out. I don't know if they really jump out, but we focused on three characters that sometimes don't get a whole lot of attention. Um, and they are people, characters, who have resisted God. They have thought that they, in their finite little world, could resist infinite God and get things to happen the way they want it to happen. Now, you and I both know that's a, that's a losing proposition. I don't know what makes us think we can, we can resist God and what makes us think that we can force God's hand and do some things uh, that, that make him, uh, you know, do what we want him to do. Um, but as we come into this Easter season, we, we really do focus in on this story, and these three characters jump out. One resisted because he, he didn't want to lose control. He had control, and he didn't want to lose control. His name was Caiaphas. We talked about him two weeks ago. Last week, we talked about Judas. And, and Judas uh, wanted things to happen a certain way, and he really felt like God was messing up the plan. He really didn't understand uh, what Jesus was about and what Jesus was trying to do. And then the person we're going to look at today may be like you in some ways, um, because he was mad at God. Now, I'm going, to, I'm going to talk today a lot about this one character, and, and I'm just going to tell you right up front, he's angry. He's not happy. Uh, life's dealt him some bad blows, and he's not happy about it. And you're, you're thinking, okay, he's going to talk the whole day about people who are mad at God. Well, Brett, I'm not mad at God. I really love God. Why am I here at church today on Easter Sunday, and you're talking about being mad at God? Because you probably know somebody like this person. You probably, you possibly live with somebody like this person who, who's really angry and shakes a fist in God's direction and doesn't understand some of the things that are going on. And uh, so... This, this message really is relevant for all of us, even though you may not find yourself as the, as the subject like this person is. Uh, we still got some things to learn in this whole deal. The funny thing is that the, these three characters, they worked their hardest to resist God, and all they did is they found out that there is a legacy that we all leave. We all figure this one thing out, that, that God's will cannot be forced, and, and um, that his will can't be thwarted. You, you can't force God's hand and make him do something he doesn't want to do. And if God wants something to happen, you're not going to get in the way of it. Um, God does, and we either play along or we, we're going to get hurt, <laughs> pretty much. Um, you know somebody like today's character. Like I said, you possibly live with them, or you work with them, or you go to school with them. Um, today's character was deeply disappointed in life and how it had turned out. And somewhere along the journey they decided that the, reason things had, that, that, that the reason things hadn't gone the way they had wanted them to go was not their fault, it was God's fault. And one of the words that we're kind of using this morning, I used it at the lake house, I used it in the first service, is this word expectation. We have expectations across the board about different things. You've got expectations for your marriage, for your kids, for your business, for your, your schoolwork, for your kids and their schoolwork. You have expectations when you come here. You've got expectations when you pray. We have expectations across the board. And somewhere along the line, this guy's expectations uh, were far from met. And, um, you know, he started looking at God as the one who could have and the one who should have, but the one who didn't. And it really started to play with him, and you're going to see how, he, he, um, uh, how that, that really manipulates him in his life. Sometimes we get angry at God over a series of things that have happened, and we have this kind of slow burn toward this frustration or this, this uh, anger at God. And again, you might say, Brett, I've never had that. Well, congratulations, but most people have. Most people have gone through this phase where 
God just sometimes doesn't make sense and you, you want things and you, you talk to him and God, you gotta show up in this and it seems like God didn't show up in it and, and it sometimes causes problems for us and that may describe you, that, that you have had a slow burn up to this place where you're disappointed or you're, you're frustrated with God and yet there might be other people who it was just one singular event, one thing happened in your life. Maybe your parents got divorced at a really early age, or maybe you lost a parent at a really early age, and you say, man, I, I never recovered from that. I, I never fully, God never really fully revealed himself and helped me to understand how that made sense. Um, Brett, I don't get it. And you'd say, that's, that's where my anger with God comes from. Or you, maybe you were the victim of abuse in some way, and you, you feel like God could have stopped it and should have stopped it, but he didn't. And, and so you harbor resentment and anger with God. Um, you know, you gave God a good opportunity, and in your mind, he just didn't live up to his end of the bargain. We don't know much about today's character. Uh, we don't even really know his name. All we know is that somewhere in his life, he did some things, and he got in some pretty bad trouble. And he was kind of in and out of trouble throughout his whole life. And eventually, he was caught, and he was arrested, and this guy was so bad that that um, he, the, the Roman officials determined that he was, was, could not be trusted, that you, you know, a lot of times they would arrest these guys and they would try them and they'd be convicted, as was the case with this guy, and they would put them in someone's home to be a slave. They'd be a servant for the rest of their life. This guy couldn't be trusted to do that. Sometimes they would take criminals and they would put them at the bottom of a trireme galley ship, uh, the person that we call the under rower, um, and, and our youth group is called the underrowers. The word means servant. And, and they would take these guys and they would put them at the bottom of this boat. They never hardly ever saw the sun again. They listened to a drum and they rowed all day long. That's what they did. And they determined that this guy was so bad that they couldn't do that with him. He couldn't be trusted to be left at the bottom of a boat. He was too mean. He was too nasty. He was too bad for that. And so he was sentenced to die. Not only was he sentenced to die, he was sentenced to be crucified outside of Jerusalem. Now, you know, no doubt he's seen crucifixions before. This wasn't a new thing. If you were in this time, you saw people get crucified all the time. And, and crucifixion was invented by the Assyrians. The Greeks used it, but the Romans perfected it as an art form in terms of, of being able to, to um, kill people in a torturous way. And that's really what crucifixion was designed to do. It was designed to torture you. Uh, as you exited this earth and so he knew that it took days sometimes for people to die when they were crucified he knew that sometimes it was a cross sometimes it was just some random scaffolding set up on the hillside sometimes they used ropes sometimes they used spikes sometimes they used roped and spikes sometimes they used hooks sometimes they would array these crosses and put them up on there sometimes they would just pin them up like billboards on this scaffolding but but it was uh it was just gruesome you know that this guy knew that birds of prey, when these guys would hang on these crosses, would come and literally pick at the flesh of people as they died. Now you're saying, Brett, why are you telling me this on Easter Sunday morning? I'm telling you that to, get you, to let you see, to paint a picture for you of just how nasty and foul this guy was and how, how badly he was hated. And it also kind of helps you to understand how people thought about Jesus because Jesus was going to go through the same thing, and that's how they looked at him. And people hated Jesus enough that they wanted him to suffer like that. I can't imagine wanting anybody to suffer like that, and yet it happened all the time in their, in their day. And he knew when his body breathed its last, 
and he had died, that his, his body would be torn down, it would be dragged to the garbage heap outside of town, and it would be thrown out to rot, or it would be thrown out to be eaten by wild animals. Either way, it would be as if he had never lived. There would be no markers, there, there'd be no grave, there'd be no memories. His would be a wasted, purposeless life. No one would remember him. No one came to his defense. Uh, he would be as forgotten as quickly as the next day came. This was the worst possible scenario. It was a tragic end to a tragic life. And as he evaluated his life, he came to the conclusion that his life and how it turned out was not simply a matter of his own doing. He determined that God had something to do with it. Perhaps it was his childhood. Perhaps something happened in his childhood that made him really turn against God. Maybe something happened to him that he just didn't understand. And for the rest of his life, he carried it as a grudge but he knew this he knew that he wasn't to blame and he would go to his grave cursing everybody including God I want you to turn to Luke uh, the 23rd chapter we're going to look at start at verse 33 and we're going to work our way through toward the end of Jesus life God introduces some characters to us that are, are really pretty fascinating and, and, and in this case he introduces to us two characters that really don't have very much uh, time to live and I don't think that's an accident. I, I, I think that, that that was very much on purpose, and I think it was designed as a message for us today and for you to think about where you are in your anger toward God and for me to do the same. Uh, there's, there's probably somebody here this morning that would be able to say, Brett, I, I fully understand where this guy's coming from. I know what it is to be frustrated and disappointed with God. I know exactly where he's coming from. You know, you, you knock yourself out, you do the best you can, bad things happen. You, you try to pray a little bit that doesn't seem to work and and you know you hope that there's a god and you hope that 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 uh, life's going to go your way but i've been disappointed with my circumstances you might say i know what it is for life to kick you and beat you up and and leave you kind of helpless and stranded i know what it is to come to the place where there's no other conclusion to draw but that god is a, is, re, is responsible in some way and it's all his fault he could have stopped what happened and he didn't he should have stopped what happened and he didn't and if we were to listen to your story, we are, it's highly possible we would be inclined to agree with you, to kick back and say, you know what, as I listen to you tell that story, I think you're probably right. I think maybe God didn't show up when he should have. It would be very possible that we'd listen to your sad story, and we would all side with you and say, yeah, God, what about that? Now, the character in our story this morning is making his way to the hill called Golgotha, that means place of the skull. And he knew this road. He'd been on this road before. A lot of people had been on this road. But he'd never been on the road like this before. He'd seen people taking the walk that he's walking now. He is walking to his crucifixion. And he knew that he would be the center of attention. But he wasn't. He was not alone. There were others, not just any others. There was this famous prophet wannabe from Nazareth named Jesus. And though he probably couldn't recognize Jesus, Jesus at this point had been so severely beaten that he was unrecognizable. There'd be no way that you would be able to look at Jesus and say, oh, I, I, I know who that is. His body was just racked, uh, had just been totally abused. But he'd heard the name, and he'd heard the shouts, and once again, even at the end, he was going to be robbed of the attention that was due him. Once again, he would... He would be der derived of the attention that he felt like he deserved. And so that the, the, the venom that he had saved up for the Roman guards to spew at them when they, as they crucified him, that all of a sudden takes a turn, as we'll see here in a minute. Luke writes this in verse 33. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals on his right. 
the other on his left. Jesus said, now keep in mind that our character is listening as Jesus is about to say these things. Father, forgive them. And I expect our, our, our friend, our character today would say, forgive them. Forgive them. How weak. What kind of Messiah are you? What kind of prophet are you? Forgive them? Forgive them, Jesus said, for they do not know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. Now, there are a couple of different groups of people that were there on this day, and none of them were real, real happy with Jesus, but they're not happy with Jesus for different reasons because one group had really pinned their hopes on Jesus. They had decided that he was the Messiah. He was the chosen one. He is the one we need to follow. Chances are good that some of the people that are watching Jesus die right now are people that had invested in some way, given money to some cause for, for you know, that they decided that this was the guy and they wanted to be aligned with with him some of the people that were standing around had probably talked some of their friends into following this guy and now he hangs on a cross and he looks like anything but a leader he looks like anything but a king and so as they watch jesus hang on the cross they're thinking to themselves you know pretty much uh it looks like god lied god would say to us this is not your man I think it'd be very possible that they would say, you know, if we're really hearing God's voice right, what we're hearing right now is this is not the Son of God, this is not the Messiah, this is not the prophet that we've been waiting on. And they were disappointed. And their disappointment turned to anger. And these people who had been so on fire for Jesus when he came into Jerusalem and he came in on the donkey and they put the palm leaves down in front of him and they, they sang Hosanna, praises to God in the highest, those same people are now really upset with Jesus because he has not turned out to be what they thought he was going to be. Again, expectations. Then there's another group of people, the religious leaders who were there that day, and to them Jesus was nothing more than a dangerous animal. He was so dangerous that you dare not uh, try to confront him in public because you would be made uh, to look very foolish if you did that. You didn't try to arrest him in public. He was too dangerous to go one-on-one with. And they had tried over and over to discredit him, and every time they tried to do that, he just he turned it on them, and he made them look foolish. They were, they were unsuccessful every time. He was dangerous, but now he was on a cross, and he couldn't hurt anybody. They said, he saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, the chosen one, the soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. And then a very strange thing happens in this story. Something that probably, possibly had never happened before, and it's possible that it never happened again. See, when you're hanging on a cross, you probably do have venom, you probably do have anger, you probably do have things to say to somebody, but you see, you probably aren't saying those things to anybody on the left or the right of you. It's probably reserved for somebody who did that to you. But in this case, this very unusual thing happens, and he turns to Jesus. And this was a man who was beyond being saved. This was a man who... Who, who was immensely angry, and he poured his anger out on Jesus, on the one dying next to him. Luke uses a very interesting word to describe uh, what our character said. Verse 39, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. See, up until this time, Luke has talked about people uh, saying things and, and speaking to Jesus, and he uses terms like uh, that the crowd was sneering, or he talks about how the, the crowd mocked him. 
But here he uses a little, an interesting little Greek word, and it's the word that we get blaspheme from. And he says that they were that this guy was hurling insults at him. And, and the way this is this kind of comes off is it's almost like these words were too nasty and vile for Luke to even write. It was you know you've heard the expression make a sailor blush. Um, you get the impression that the things this guy's saying would make a sailor blush. That the, the Roman soldiers, when they heard these things coming off the cross, probably thought they were coming off down at them, and then they looked up to realize, no, he's talking to the guy in the middle. How strange is that? That he's got all this anger and all this venom, and he's so upset. He used words that probably a lot of people were surprised to hear. Verse, the second part of verse 39, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. Translated, you can't save anybody. You're worthless. You're hanging on the cross. You know, God's not going to save anybody. You're not going to save anybody. Anybody who chooses to follow you is a loser because you're a loser, because you're, your whole life is just, there's no meaning to it at all. You're going to die just like everybody else in all these fantastic things that you said about yourself and, and how you were going to lead and you were going to have this kingdom and all these kind of things. <laughs> Wrong. You're dying with me. There's no difference, this guy would have said to Jesus, between you and me. And God isn't going to do anything for you, and God isn't going to do anything for me. And suddenly all his anger and all his pent-up frustrations over years and years and years get unleashed on Jesus. Our character had done what we oftentimes do. We don't do it on purpose. Um, usually it's an accident. But somewhere along the way, the unnamed criminal had confused life with God and God with life. And somewhere... Uh, in some way he was tired and uh, uh, no one came to his defense his family had given up on him a long time ago he had been left alone he was abandoned he was isolated this guy was out on an island by himself and that was simply not life that was dealing God all the, or dealing this guy all these terrible blows it was God doing it and he start, started to rail on Jesus chances are that there's somebody in here who feels the same way and like i said most of us we're we're good with god you know we we love god and that's why we come to church and we come to praise and you're sitting there thinking man i just don't relate to that i don't relate to being angry with god trust me there are people in the room this morning the odds are very on in this case that there are people in the room this morning who really have issues with god and they harbor resentment they harbor disappointment and somewhere in your story and in your circumstances your frustration with life your anger has been focused in God's direction. And somewhere along the way, you decided that God is to blame. And the only emotion you can vent in God's direction is not prayer, and it's not love, it's anger. And every time something bad happens, it's your reaction to say, see, I told you. See, it happened again. See, I told you you couldn't trust God. I told you that if I got my hopes up, it, they would be dashed. If there was a loving God, he could have, or God should have. And anybody who tries to pry you open and tries to speak the truth of God into your life at all uh, gets at both barrels from you. It's, it's, it's highly possible that whoever is like that, that I'm describing in the room, that the people that live with you that know God are very, very hesitant to talk to you about the Lord because they don't want to get your anger. They don't want to get your disappointment pointed in their direction because they just don't want to have to put up with that. Somewhere along the way, you confused life with God and God with life. 
and you confused an event with the hand of God, and you are very, very angry. And here's the irony. Picture this character that we're talking about this morning, and there he hangs on the cross, unwilling to ask God for the thing he needs the most. Completely unwilling. What this guy needs is a heart healing. What this guy needs is fulfillment. What he needs, you know, you would, you would argue and you'd say, no, Brett, what he physically needs is to get off that cross. What he really needs is his soul to be tended. But he refuses to ask God for that help. I think it's highly possible that as he worked through all this anger that he had, that it's possible that one of the questions that you might ask your, that he might have asked himself out loud on the cross that day is, God, where are you? You know what I think the answer to that would have been? I think Jesus would have said, I'm 12 feet away from you. I'm 90, 90 degrees to your right. I'm 12 feet away from you, and I'm suffering just like you're suffering. I'm 12 feet away from you, and I'm in the same agony that you were in. I'm 12 feet away from you, and I have the same sentence on me that you have on you. I am right here, and I'm right beside you. If you're angry with God this morning, you're probably not going to like what I'm about to say. Do you know where God has been in your life as you've gone through all these hardships? Do you know where God has been as you've gone through times that you questioned and wondered whether or not there was even a God? ironically i'll just stop pause just for a minute i find that most people it's not that they're atheists even when bad things have happened in their life it's not that they're atheists it's not that they don't believe in god the problem is a lot of times we don't like god's tactics and we say i'm not going to believe in you even though we really do believe we just say i don't like the tactics but it's possible this morning that as you've gone through all these circumstances you would not believe that god has been with you but do you know where god's been the whole time you've been going through stuff right beside you now i know you hear that and you think well see that just makes me matter that he would stand alongside me and watch me go through some of this stuff just doesn't make any sense to me here's what i would offer to you it's possible that god wants to leverage the things that have happened in your life in such a way that you would take a clenched fist and you would turn it into an open hand that you would come to the foot of the cross and you would say lord i've resisted you long enough I've carried a grudge against you long enough and I have confused life with you and I have confused what other people have done and I've said that that's something that God has done and I'm sorry. God wants to leverage those instances in your life to the place where you come, you fall on your knees and you open your clenched fist and you say, God, please give to me what I need the most, which is forgiveness, grace, your mercy, your tenderness. You see, anger is a lot like cancer. It does not heal itself. And though everything in us at times wants to continue to shake our fist at God, and we think when we do that, we think, well, if I can just hold out to the end, I win. If I can just hold out till the very end and just, I'm not going to give and I'm not going to cave and I'm not going to ask and I'll never break. And we think somehow if we can get to the end like that, we're the winner. The truth of the matter is that's a no-win situation. That is total loss. That is complete and utter purposelessness of life. The interesting thing about this story is that here, at the pinnacle of salvation, I mean, where we're at in this story right now is salvation is happening, okay? That's where God is nailing down salvation for all of us, literally. And God introduces us to these two characters. One who shook his fist at God to the very last breath that he took, but then on the other side is this guy that's listening, and he's been silent up up until now, but now he breaks his silence. And he begins to offer a whole fresh perspective. 
uh, a criminal much like our, the character in our story. This guy, uh, you know, his life was purposelessness. Nobody had been there to defend him. He'd seen crucifixion. In fact, think about the fact that, that you know the next day you're going to be crucified. And you've seen crucifixions before. You've walked by as some poor soul hung on a cross and was being made to pay for whatever sin he'd committed to, uh, against the government. Can you imagine being in the, the jail cell the night before you're going to be crucified, waiting for sleep to come to you, and sleep just simply will not come. And yet hanging there next to Jesus, he had a moment of insight. And he had a, 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 weak, a, a moment of good weakness. And listen to what he said, verse 40. But the criminal rebuked him. And he asked a question, and this is the question for everybody who's angry at God. Listen to this. Don't you fear God? I mean, you don't, obviously, you don't fear the Romans. You don't fear the government. You obviously don't fear anybody else. Don't you at least, don't you fear slash have any reverence for slash have any respect for God? Don't you fear God? To which the character would have said, no, I don't fear God. And because I don't fear him, I will not break and I will not bend and I will not ask for his help even in my dying moment. Look at the second part of verse 40. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly. Now listen to this. For we are getting what we deserve. Now check this out because this is pretty unbelievable. God puts this in at the last minute. It's like a last ditch effort to kind of... uh, talk to all those who shake their fist at god but this man has done nothing wrong in other words what you're experiencing right now what you feel right now what you're going through right now it's not his fault he's done nothing wrong yet when we get mad we get mad over things that have happened in our life and we have a tendency to want to hold that against god and the words coming from this guilty man i mean this guy's hanging on the cross and he's looking at the guy in the middle and he's, he's still trying to figure out why is he hanging on a cross he's blameless he hasn't done anything to anybody at least i deserve to be up here he said that to the other criminal you and i are getting our just reward we're getting what we deserve but this guy is blameless he has done nothing wrong And then this criminal, with dying words, does the unthinkable. (laughs) He asks Jesus for a favor. Now, you're thinking, okay, Brett seems to think that's funny. It's funny, and I'm going to show you why it's funny. Because I've asked God for a favor, and probably you have asked God for a favor too. And it probably sounded something like this. God, I will if you will. God, if you could work this out, I'll work out my schedule so that I can do this, that, or the other. I I promise I will if you'll promise you will. Let's see, we we come to God, we think we've got something in our hands that God wants. We got bargaining chips. Okay, God, I'm going to hold you over a barrel here because I know you really want this. I'll, I'll give it to you if you will. Okay, so that's how we, we, we've tried to do that with God, right? But think about this. The guy that is asking God for a favor right now is hanging on a cross. You know, he, he's, he's, what's he going to say? God, if, if you will, I will. You know, I, I've got this that I would offer. I mean, you know, at this point in this guy's life, rededication is not an option. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, what's he going to say? From here on out, God, I promise I'll be good. Well, yeah, you got about two hours left. You know, it's all you got to do is make good on two hours you know, it's kind of comical that this guy starts to ask God for a favor. You know, what's the point of rededication? 
I'll, I'll never again. <laughs> From this moment forward, no, he asked Jesus for a favor. And he says, Jesus, will, will, you, will you remember me? Would you do for me what it seems that life and no one else was so intent on not doing for me? Jesus, will you give me what I need the most and deserve the least, knowing that there's not one single thing that I have to offer you in return? Would you do that for me? Would you do what life could never do? How bold is that? How appropriate is that? And you have to love the answer. Jesus answered and said to him, No way! You should have come to me three months ago. You should have talked to me a long time ago. It's too late now. You're on a cross and you're going to hell and it's over for you. It's over, Rover. Forget it. Give it up. See, I'm trying to sell that, but it doesn't fit, does it? It just doesn't work. Those words don't come out of Jesus' mouth. Listen to this. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. I think Jesus would say, listen, I will do for you what you do not deserve I'll do for you what you have not earned I'll offer you the very things that circumstances in your life have taken away from you and do you know why I will do that for you and don't miss this this is key to the whole thing if you're not a believer this morning what I'm about to say is the whole key to your life do you know why Jesus will do that for you because you asked him to you asked him to. You will have taken your clenched fist and you will have opened it up and you will have said, God, would you please do for me what no one else has ever done? Would you love me in a way no one else has ever loved me? Would you heal my heart in ways that no one has ever healed it before? Maybe life and God aren't the same. Maybe I have confused the two. And if there's any possible way that you would give to me what life has not given to me, I would be foolish not to ask you for it. Why in the world would God add these two figures uh, at the end of the story? Why would they show up at such a critical moment? You know, this, this, this moment where salvation is happening, I mean, right in front of us in this story, and these two characters show up. People who feel let down, disappointed, feel like God has not been there for them. There must be something wrong with me, they would say. Better or worse yet, there must be something wrong with God. So let me ask you, are you angry at God? Are you mad? L let me tell you something and then we'll close. Did you know that God can handle your anger? Did you know that you can't? Did you know that you can shake your fist at God for the rest of your life and he can handle that? Did you know that you can't handle that? Is there a pride in you that was in this criminal on the cross that refused until his very last breath? I will not bow. I will not ask. I will not humble myself. My fist will remain clenched throughout and it will never open and I will not ask God to help me. 
Because in order for me to do that, it symbolizes that I am weak. It's a sign of weakness. To which God would say, of course it's a sign of weakness. You're weak. What makes us think we're so strong? What makes us think that we don't need God? What makes us think we can survive? See, I think God wants to look at us and say, look, I understand your anger. I understand that when I gave free will to people and I gave them a choice to choose, that that really had some repercussions. That people would choose some things sometimes that would hurt you. I understand that. I understand why you feel disappointed. But if you're willing to get on your knees and you're willing to focus on me, I will give you things that life just simply will not give you. And I will give it to you just because you asked me. That's grace. That's mercy. The beauty of this is that it didn't end on the cross that day. If it had ended on the cross, the whole life of Jesus would have been meaningless. Because here's the truth. Anybody can die for you. So, so if there was no resurrection, if there's no resurrection then what we could say about Jesus is that he went out in a blaze of glory different than most of us are going to go out. Not many people went out on a cross. So, so Jesus, if there was no resurrection, we could say, well, you know, his death was pretty gruesome, more gruesome than most. Is that enough to save somebody? I mean, really, when your grandmother passed away, you know, you could say she died for me. If there's no resurrection, grandma's death and Jesus' death there's no difference in the power of those two deaths but if there is a resurrection attached to the end of the life of Jesus everything changes we're here this morning not because Jesus died for us we're here this morning because he rose because that tomb was empty because he was not there the truth of the matter is that Jesus died on Friday they took him off the cross. They put him in a tomb. And these ladies went expecting to find Jesus there. They were going to somehow figure out how to get that stone rolled away and get these spices on his body. Sunday morning, he rose. We're going to sing a song in just a minute. It's a song that we sing here quite often. Um, it's not a new song. You'll know it. It's taken from the book of Job. Uh, the Job, life dealt Job some pretty nasty blows. But through the whole thing, he refused to confuse life with God. And basically, Job's philosophy was, God, uh, through the good times, blessed be your name. Through the bad times, blessed be your name. I will not turn my back on you. I will not raise a, raise a clenched fist. I will love you throughout. I will trust you throughout. We're going to sing this song this morning. And for those of you who you would say, no, I, if I'm really honest, there is a part of me that's kind of got a clenched fist where God's concerned. I pray that you would be able this morning to sing this song in such a way that you literally feel your fists open up and you, you literally come to a place where you say, God, would you do for me just simply because I asked? Would you, would you let it go as we sing this song in just a few minutes? Let's pray together. Father, life can be pretty cruel and we we can be cruel to each other but sometimes lord things happen that that uh, we just can't explain uh, people ask me things all the time that i just i don't have an answer for and all i can say is i don't know we'll have to ask god together someday 
Lord, I wish that I had all the answers and I wish I could stand up here and, and say it in such a way that everybody understands just how much you love them. And the fact of the matter is there are people in the room that are really not happy with you. And God, I want to make that my problem. The fact of the matter is it's not my problem, it's yours. And you're perfectly willing and able to handle it. Lord, this morning, would you help us as we sing this song to just really come to terms with the idea that you give to us, you take away from us, but through the whole process, we need to just really proclaim to you that your name is blessed. You are the best thing that ever happened to us. You're the best hope we've got. Lord, we love you. You proved you love us, and you sealed the deal with a resurrection. Father, thank you, because that's where our hope is. That's where our joy is. It's all pinned on that. Lord, we love you. We love Jesus. We thank you that the tomb was empty. It's in his name we pray. Amen.